Hello and welcome to the Daddy Saturday podcast. I'm your host, Justin Batt. And on this podcast, it's all about helping fathers be more intentional and engage with their kids to raise good kids who become great adults. On this show, we're going to feature some of the top experts in fatherhood. And by experts, I mean dads that are actually out there doing it. These are celebrities, athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, everyday fathers like you and me who have some great insights and information that can help all of us as dads be better at life, better at fatherhood, and move forward with our children. It's a great honor today to welcome Trey Roth to the show. I'll introduce Trey in a minute. He's going to bring his A game today and give you some great information on fatherhood with his four kids. But I want to remind you to always subscribe to the show. As you can see, we've got a stacked lineup with Trey today and many more coming in the future. And so subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for some great episodes in the near future. Well, without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Trey Roth. Trey is the founder and CEO of Yay Stack. Trey is an entrepreneur's entrepreneur and quite the experienced CEO himself. But he's not just a CEO in the business community. He's the CEO at home. He's married to his middle school sweetheart, Ashley. And he's the father of four incredible children, Emmy, Maddox, Jet, and Denver. So Trey, welcome to the show. It's such an honor to have you on today. I appreciate it, Justin. It's, uh, this is exciting, so I'm ready to go. Great. Well, it's good to have you here and have a quick chat on fatherhood today. You know, Trey, as the dad of four kids, as a busy entrepreneur, uh, you got a lot going on, both at the workplace and at home, and, and we want to certainly get into the conversation around that. But one of the things I'd love to ask you first is if you could just tell us a little bit about your fatherhood journey and how you came into fatherhood and, and where you're at today in regards to your family. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, if I can back up just a little bit, uh, all the way back to the summer between third and fourth grade, it, I was actually uh, uh, visiting uh, a new church. This was uh, a vacation Bible school, actually, and I met this girl on the playground, and it was the proverbial, you know, the clouds parted and the sun shone through and only on her, you know, she was just beautiful and uh, smart and funny and kind and just all these things uh, that just made me just absolutely fall in love with her right away. So she, the, the feelings weren't mutual though. Uh, so I was in love, she was not. So I was actually the very overweight kid. I actually was, um, uh, my twin brother and I played baseball growing up and my favorite pitcher at the time was Greg Maddox and um, Mark Wallers. And Mark Wallers pitched really hard and he also had a mullet. And so I had a mullet as well. So I'm overweight, I have a mullet, my teeth are like gnarly. I mean, one is just, you know, poking straight out, you know, so I would actually try to be in a bad mood so I wouldn't be tempted to smile because kids would make fun of me. And then I had bad skin on top of that. I was introverted. I was, it was just layers upon layers of insecurities, right? So I had this crush on her. We decided to actually, you know, move to the city and, and go to this church. And so fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, Finally, eighth grade rolls around. I've had this crush on this girl at a distance, and I finally decide to do something about it. So every night from midnight to 2 a.m., I would run. I would go running down our subdivision. I, would, I didn't want people to see me. But in a year's time in eighth grade, I lost a ton of weight. I grew about a foot taller, cut the hair, and then uh, I, I actually got braces and started smiling 
and people would smile back for the first time. I read How to Win Friends and Influence People, which was you know highly influential all my life. And so I finally built up the confidence at the beginning of ninth grade. So I'm 14, she's actually 15. And I ask her out and she says yes. And so fast forward seven and a half years from our first date uh, to our wedding, uh, to the day we get married. And now this August, we're celebrating 12 years of marriage. And when we were 14 years old, so again, I was 14, she was 15, we would talk about how four was our number. We wanted four kids. And so we actually now have those four kids. And I am so incredibly grateful. I mean, this life that I'm living uh, is is literally better than my my wildest dreams as a kid. And I remember before Ashley and I got together, uh, before we started dating, I remember just saying a prayer and saying, God, if you give Ashley to me, I promise to do my very best to give her the best life possible. So I'm still working to make good on that promise. But man, it is just a wonderful life. The kids, as you said, Emmy Maddox, Jet, Denver, they're just wonderful little souls, very joyful people. And it is a privilege, you know, to be their dad and uh, be on this life journey with them. So Trey, thank you so much. It's always great to hear the genesis of your fatherhood story. And so much came out of that. I got a couple of questions I'd love to ask and follow up. So one of the things you mentioned in that stage where you had the mullet and the, the gnarly teeth, as you described them, and, and your, your weight wasn't where you wanted it to be you talked about the fact that that made you extremely insecure. And, you know, as you have four children now, um, how, do you, how do you manage insecurity as a father, but also how do you help your kids manage through some of the insecurities that they may also face? I, I appreciate that. One uh, thing that we're very intentional about is to, well, to exemplify what it's like to have a good um, identity and relationship with yourself. Um, you know, to not only see the best in others, our, our, a hope of ours is that our our kids see the best in themselves and in others. Uh, you know, we do ask ourselves a, a tactic that we have that Ashley and I have is to to ask ourselves, um, you know, in any given situation, in any given day, um, would we hope uh, our kids would make the t- same decision that we're making right here, right now, and and do exactly what we're choosing to do you know, is this the best decision? Um, Whether this is a big decision or a small decision, um, we know that everything is interconnected. Everything is a chain reaction. Good decisions beget better decisions and vice versa. And so that's one tactic, uh, just asking ourselves, you know, uh, are are we making a decision? Are we doing what we hope any of our children would do uh, if they were in this situation? Um, So exemplifying good decision-making, at the smallest decision-making level to the biggest, that is one tactic. I don't know if that answered your question directly or not. Yeah, it, uh, it does. And certainly for, for dealing with your children, it sounds like you and Ashley are very much on the same page as it relates to that. And let's, let's talk about you for a minute as a father, right? Because as dads, one of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast, and a lot of our listeners are struggling with as fathers, is balancing that, that tension between work and home. And that can create some significant insecurities, right? When you're, when you're at home and you're thinking about what you need to be doing at work and vice versa, um, that brings some of those insecurities that are deep-rooted to light. So maybe give the listeners some, some tips or some ways that you manage some of those insecurities that 
may come out due to that tension between work and home or how you balance that? Um, I appreciate uh, that question. So unfortunately, my wife's uh, father passed away uh, when she was young in a car accident. And so it radically changed uh, their lives. And so my wife, um, if you're familiar with love languages, her love language is quality time to an extreme. And it's and it's wonderful. I, I actually used to think, you know, that it was like, okay, I'm this entrepreneur who loves work, you know, my life versus Colossians 3.23, work heartily, you know, and it was it just a, an interesting dynamic early in, in marriage, um, you know, for me to love work so much, but then for her to have this deep need for, for time. And so for us, making time for the family and making sure that uh, it's clear that it is family first and, and work comes after that. You know, we have four core values. A tactic for us managing managing this is we have very clear core values, faith, family, work, and health. And so just keeping that in order, you know, and that looks different for, for everybody, but for us, it's very clear that uh, that family comes before work even though I, I spend a lot of time working from home. I'm actually uh, here recording this in my home office. So one way we manage it is just to, as, as well as possible, we communicate, okay, daddy's working. And then, you know, after this given period or when daddy comes uh, to dinner, then, you know, that's, that's when we can play. So just having great communication. I actually had the um, fortunate opportunity to meet Joe Torre, who is, if you're a baseball fan at all, you know that name. Joe Torre is a legend. And the one piece of advice Joe gave me was strong communication, especially in, in marriage um, and as it relates to um, you know, being a father. So I think that just having that strong communication, this is when daddy's working, this is when he's not working, um, making that very clear is uh, a way that we uh, manage that. So Trey, you know, that's, that is such a great example. And, and I feel like I struggle with the same things a lot where we enforce the boundaries for our kids, where we may say, you know, daddy's working or, you know, when, when daddy gets home, make sure he can finish things up. And then when he comes to engage, then it's okay for you to engage. Um, so the, the kids tend to respect those boundaries most of the time. Um, but at the same time, you know, as, as fathers, it's all also, you know, I had a struggle with this for a long time of imposing those own boundaries within myself. And so when I would come home, it's how do you then put the phone away or turn work off, at least mentally, so that you're there present and fully engaged with the family. And, and dinner time's a great metaphor or great visual for what that actually looks like in practice. So you know, you gave us a great example for how you do it with the kids. How do you do that as a father? How do you shut it down so that you're present and engaged with your family when it matters most? Absolutely. I think it's a combination of a bunch of little things. To be aware of what you're communicating, not not only with your words, but with your body language. You know, for example, you know, a, a technology or my, my phone um, or anybody else's device just does not belong at the dinner table. If I have the phone... Uh, on the table at dinner, it communicates. If somebody hits me, you know, if, if that phone goes off, it's more important than what else, you know, what else is happening here. So I think that just setting clear uh, boundaries with 
technology and understanding that, hey, Ed, there's a lot more that's being communicated than just your words. I think that that's, that's one thing that we, you know, we uh, do to, to manage that. Yeah, and that's a great example. And you've mentioned now communication a couple of times. And, and I think, you know, Jotori told you that impactful phrase. And I had a chance to meet Alan Mulally from Ford and Boeing. And Alan told me that communication is the, the hardest problem with communication is the illusion that it occurs, right? And so, so often, um, communication is one of the most difficult pieces of marriage, of business, and also in parenting. And you've brought it up a couple of times now. So maybe give the listeners some real, real tactical, practical ways that, that you either communicate or work to enhance that communication with your kids and, and even with your, your spouse, Ashley. Absolutely. Well, um, there's a lot of ways I can answer this. The first thing that comes to mind, though, is we have um, a quote on our living room wall from Maya Angelou that ends with, um, people don't remember what you said, they don't remember what you did, but they uh, always remember how you made them feel. And so that being true and understanding that, um, you know, what we really remember are thoughts that are well emotionalized. So for example, if I said, hey, Justin, tell me something from your childhood or from your past, you can articulate it with great clarity, um, good or bad, because of how you felt in the moment. The emotion sears the memory. So for us, you know, um, when it comes to communication, it, you start with, okay, well, what's most important? What are my kids gonna remember from this? Like, like when my daughter, when I'm walking her down the aisle, which she's nine now, um, our, our kids are, well, our daughter's nine, about to turn nine, and then our boys are seven, five, and one and a half. So small kids, all under the age of 10. So with that, I believe that when I walk Emmy down the aisle, that she's going to remember, you know, the, the things, the thoughts that are well emotionalized. So it makes me very aware of how they feel with whatever I communicate, whatever, you know, how they feel is the determinant of what they remember. I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but basically, like, if I say something and there's no emotion attached to that, they're just not going to remember it. There's a short shelf life there. But if it's connected with uh, a positive or negative emotion, they're going to remember that a lot more strongly. So with all that, a tactic, something that we do very intentionally, that I do as a father, very intentionally, is every time that we see each other the first time that we see each other in the day, whether they're coming downstairs or I'm coming downstairs, uh, the first time I see any and all of my kids in the day, each day, and we do not miss, I mean, we never miss this. It is 30 seconds to 60 seconds to maybe two or three minutes. Truly, I don't think it ever lasts more than three minutes, but we just have a moment of pure jubilee and I will throw them up in the air. I'll spin them around. I'll, you know, hold them up by their feet and we'll just have a party. And I mean, they always, they'll run to me and like, you know, want me to play with them first thing in the day. And it just sets the tone, uh, you know, a very positive tone. And so I believe that's one of the most important things 
I do as a father is like, then life is too short not to enjoy it. Life is too short not to have fun and play. And hey, like we are so secure that, you know, we have such a strong foundation uh, in internal ways and external ways that we can start the day and end the day with love, joy, peace, gratitude. Um, so I believe, again, when I walk Emmy down the aisle, she's not gonna remember what I said, she's not gonna remember what I did, but it, she is gonna remember how I made her feel, and I believe that these mornings of joy and laughter are gonna be some of the most important and meaningful and clear memories that she has. Trey, I love that. It is such, like, it gives me chills even just thinking about that example. And I think it's so powerful and it's such a great message. No matter how old your kids are, whether they're little kids or they're older, you know, can you imagine a teenager whose dad maybe hasn't been fully engaged and they wake up in the morning and they come out like in their pajama pants and their shirt or no shirt and their hair's all a mess and they're half asleep and they're walking out and all of a sudden their dad greets them the way that you just described. Can you imagine the look on that teenager's face? I, I mean, I'd pay anything to see that. And that, that kind of a moment and, and what we talk about in Daddy Saturday so often is something epic doesn't have to be expensive, extraordinary, or extravagant. It can mm -hmm. be those little micro moments. And you're clearly doing that with the beginning of the day. And We've talked about the end of the day too, right? And bedtime and what that looks like. And, and you really bring out the principle of intentionality. And you've thought about how to be intentional, even in the little things like just how do I greet my children when they wake up first thing in the morning or when, when we first see each other for the day. And that's what intentionality is all about. So in the, in the closing couple of minutes here, I, I'd love you have, I know because we've talked, you have some other great just practical tips or, or dad hacks as we've called them and we plan on releasing some of those. So we'll have to get you on Trey to talk about some of your dad hacks, but any other quick dad hacks that you'd like to provide the audience here around how they can just be more intentional and engaged parents. Absolutely. I, I you know, again, just exemplifying uh, how you hope that they would be and how they, uh, how you hope that they would view themselves and view the world. We do scripture memory, um, but there's also just mantras and uh, sayings that we basically say it out loud and we have them say it out loud. And so, I mean, my daughter, um, she can just rattle off right now. If I were to invite her in the room, she's upstairs now, but she could just say, you know, like, good, better, best, never let it rest until my good is better and my better is best. Now, that's something that really struck me in high school, and I wish that I had that mantra you know, um, tucked away uh, when I was her age, but now she's got it. And then also, you know, just thoughts like, I've got this bracelet, it's a copper bracelet, uh, like a, I don't even know how to really describe this well, but um, it has debossed this saying in it that says, and I'm holding it right now, uh, the best is yet to come, always. And so having a belief like that, or, you know, um, tomorrow is going to be better than today, or life is always getting better. You know, we encourage the kids to have a very, very positive outlook to see the best again in themselves and in others, because what you see, what you focus on gets big, bigger and you have more of. So, um, you know, we show them, you don't need a good reason to smile, uh, to smile, just smile. That's actually it for first time fathers. If uh, your child is under the age of one, 
That is the number one piece of advice. That's the number one tip that we could possibly give them is to smile constantly as much as you possibly can, even if you don't have a good reason at all, because they are learning from you what is normal. So what what we've done is we would, you know, we would smile and just like, even if we don't have a good reason, it's like our resting face was actually like a smile um, or laughter. And then what we found is that like our kids are just full of joy. I mean, mostly, I mean, they're, you know, they're kids. They, you know, have moments for sure of not smiling. Um, but their norm is uh, very, very positive, very happy, very joyful and fulfilled and secure. So smile, you know, act the way you hope they would in the big, big, you know, moments and the big decisions and the small ones. Trey, that's, that's so incredible. And we could all benefit from that, right? Not just with our kids, but just smiling more often and let that all be our resting face. And it's amazing how you get that return to you when you do smile. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, one final question. And we, I asked this question of all of our guests. So if you had a boat, Trey, and I'm not talking about like a, a little tiny boat, like, like, like a yacht, what would you, what would you name your boat? Oh, what would I name the boat? That's a good question. Hold on. <laughs> That's a loaded question, man. Uh, shoot. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, so just to hack the answer real quick, I've got um, a baseball card that a friend of mine gave me. Uh, it's actually a replica of the original, but is it's the Honus Wagner card. I'm actually holding it right now. It, this card, my friend, sold for $610,000. It's a replica of the rarest card, what's under or believed to be the rarest car, baseball card in the world. In the world, it's significantly smaller than baseball cards as we know it. Um, and the Holness Wagner is like <laughs> I've always known the Holness Wagner. I've, I, being a baseball card collector growing up, and when my friend Ross Green, who was the the last owner of the card before he sold it. He gave me a replica, said that he hadn't given, you know, one of these, uh, like, official replicas to anybody other than family members. Uh, so it was a huge honor for him to give it to me. But he said, you know, he's never seen a baseball card in a, in a casket. Uh, you know, we can't take these things with us. And so on that boat, I, I would name the boat Hannes Wagner to represent what this card represents to me, which is we can't take these things with us, um, meaning in, enjoy them, but understand that they have a shelf life. They're not uh, representative of, uh, a representation of the best in life. They're nice to have, they're fun, enjoy them. You know, it's a part of what makes life a lot of fun, you know? Um, but yeah, so I would name it Honus Wagner for that reason. I love it. Thanks for the story behind it. That's perfect. And now you see why I asked that question. So great answer. Trey, look, this has been a fabulous interview. You've given the audience so much and, and me, frankly, as well to take away. I think it's clear that you're an intentional father who's also crushing it out there as an entrepreneur through your work at Yaystack. And you have given us some tweetable quotes. There's two that I wrote down in particular that I know I'll take with me. And I call it R&D. I'm going to rip off and deploy these, um, and I will, but I will give you credit. 
says, what we really remember are the thoughts that are well emotionalized. And I love that. It's those micro moments adding up over time that our kids are really going to remember about us when they look back at our, our fatherhood or dad resume. And the second one was how they feel is the determinant of what they remember. So both tweetable quotes, Trey, it was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for your time. Um, if our audience wants to connect with you and with Yaystack, where can they find you, Trey? Absolutely. I appreciate that. I'm at Trey Roth, T-R-E-Y-R-O-T-H on social, you know, on, on Instagram is a good one. Uh, we're also launching um, our uh, third iteration here of Yaystack. It's a long story, which at some point, you know, I'd love for all of your listeners to, to hear. Um, but we're launching Yaystack here soon in the uh, iOS uh, and Android app stores. So look out for that. I don't know when your listeners are listening to this, but look for Yaystack, Y-A-Y-S-T-A-C-K, the best finds from your best friends in app stores uh, here coming soon. Thanks, Trey. Well, this has been the Daddy Saturday podcast. Thanks for listening. And remember, be intentional, be engaged, and have a great Daddy Saturday.